Hi, this is Dee, and you are listening to my podcast, Let Me Clear My Throat. Um, I was actually doing some research on some different subjects to talk about, and um, I come across this one disorder that I actually have never even knew existed. Um, but it makes sense after reading some of it. I haven't read all of it totally, but um, it kind of makes sense to me. Um, it's amazing how much <coughs> uh, similarity a lot of um, disorders and, and, and different types of scenarios that people go through um, actually intertwine each other and actually could be either one thing or the other, really. It's like a combination of everything. And sometimes I wonder if that's kind of uh, my situation. Um, I've, I've talked numerous times through my podcast about me and different things I go through and um, different things. Um, and the fact that I've been trying to uh, redirect myself in a positive manner. Um, I, in my other podcast, I spoke about how um, I have been in tragedies uh, very severely and was homeless for a couple of years. Um, went through a lot of trauma, lost my dad a couple of years ago. I take care of my mother who is blind and bedridden. Um, and I am now in therapy <laughs> um, and trying to adjust myself in a way that um, is trying to help me to survive my own uh, mind, <laughs> actually, if you will. Um, but in this process, I have to ask myself, you know, um, different types of um, scenarios like, well, do I fall under this category? Do I fall under that category? And sometimes it's easy to feel like you can self-diagnose yourself, especially nowadays with all the resources online and, of course, Google, you know, of um, things that he doesn't always understand or she, um, in that case, maybe. Um, Arj used to be a female, and my mom used to argue with her all the time, and she got tired of the woman um, not understanding what she had to say, and she literally would argue with, I mean, it was so hilarious, um, and <laughs> she would tell her, because she's like, you're getting on my nerves today, I think I'm going to change you into a man, and so then she changed it into the male voice, um, and it didn't get any different, but she doesn't argue with him as much anymore, <laughs> so, um, and she asked Alexa if um, Alexa wanted to meet Google and asked Google if he wanted to meet Alexa, and, um, Google was all for it, <laughs> so I don't know, but anyway, I didn't understand, <laughs> but anyway, that, um, so anyway, back on the subject here, see, I get, I do, I do this, so, um, this is me, and I have, I have come to the, to the terms of ex trying to accept me for me, and trying not to, um, feel like I need to dumb myself down to myself based off of the way other people in my life have made me feel. And I am teaching myself to try to be more positive um, than all the negativity that I have had to feel basically almost my complete life. And so in doing so, I have been re trying to redirect myself and uh, take control of my personality that needs to heal. And I say that I am a surviving suicidal victim. I am a survivor of self-harm. Um, I wear my scars on the outside and deeply on the inside. Um, <clears throat> I was a severe picker. Uh, subconsciously, I would just pick up my skin, my arms, my face, my neck. Um, <clears throat> and I wouldn't even notice I did it. And sometimes I would have to wrap my arms up um, and ace bandages and gauze and stuff to keep myself from picking. And I wouldn't even realize I was doing it. 
and I just start getting stressed out, my anxiety, and I would just start picking away. And um, my youngest daughter and I were at the store one time, and this girl walked by with her parent, and she said, "Mommy, what's wrong with her? What happened to her?" And it, and it, and I vaguely heard her, and I thought, "Wow, you know." And little by little, um, I actually accomplished it. And with everything I've been going through, with the loss of my dad. Um, and my mom going through what she's going through and just different types of things in my life. I'm really, I was actually talking to my therapist today about it. I was showing him my scars and I said, you know, look at me go. You know, I'm proud of myself because that is a huge accomplishment. And um, people might not realize that, um, you know, the depth that people, you know, are, are going through. And just because... I can hide my scars on my body on the outside doesn't mean the scars on the inside are going to be um, masked over or covered with makeup or, um, you know, actually even realize that they're there sometimes. And some of the biggest scars that we have run very deep within us. And um, it doesn't always reflect our outside appearance. Because I can seem calm, cool, and collected and got my stuff in order, you know, in order and organized. And, you know, maybe to my therapist, sometimes he might think that I don't need therapy. I don't know. Um, he talks to me for a little while. He, I think he changes his mind. <laughs> if anything, it's entertainment, too. So, um, but um, that's because at that moment, I'm having a good moment. But it, it can change all in a blink of an eye. And in one breath, it can change. And that, I think, is what a lot of people um, take for granted. We are all one breath away from everything being different. Our lives, our livelihood. Um, we are all one tragedy away from being homeless. We are one breath away from being in a situation where um, our, our well-being, our minds, our, and everything just switches. And trying to keep that under control especially in this day and age, um, is um, a trauma sometimes all in itself, honestly, I, I feel like. But anyway, back to this disorder that I found. Um, it's called adjustment disorder. And it's really kind of surprising uh, because with me, I'm like I said, you know, from my other podcast, I'm OCD. I'm uh, manic depressive. I'm bipolar, PTSD. Um, I, the insurance company has me deemed as mentally, or not mentally, I'm sorry, that's me. Um, my insurance company sent me a letter and said that I am medically fragile. Um, so it's like, wow. <laughs> um, but, um, nor here nor there, I am me, and I have been through a lot. And whatever insurance wants to claim me at is their business. It's what I think and what I feel that makes the difference in the end of it. Um, okay, so I actually kind of lost my place. I know you wouldn't know that. Um, but I had to pause for a good while. Um, like I've said before, I take care of my mom. And uh, she's blind and bedridden. And um, she just got out of the hospital yesterday. She went by ambulance the day before. And was having severe chest pains, had six nitros um, to get her heart to calm down and stuff. And she's basically bedridden anyway and blind on top of it. She's got a lot of, lot of health problems. Um, be easier for me to tell you what she doesn't have going on. Um, but anyway, she is um, not doing well at all. Um, and 
I honestly, I think if a gust of wind came by, it would knock her over. That is how difficult she is struggling. And she, um, she is just very, very worn out. And uh, anyway, she has a, um, a button that she pushes and it's like a doorbell. I call it a ding dong button because it makes the ding dong noise. Um, anyway, she triggered it off uh, for me to come in there to her and help her. Um, so anyway, I had to take some time to do that. So obviously whatever was said prior to this, um, I didn't want to have to start over because it's a silly, so I paused it. So if I do something like this, um, that's the reason why, um, because I don't always remember, obviously, when I'm doing something for her, exactly where I left off, um, exactly what I said to be able to continue on. So anyway, I know we were talking about adjustment disorder, so I'm just going to go ahead and start. I know we're already nine minutes into this on my end. I mean, obviously, you're in two because we paused. Um, but um, so anyway, I printed out this information from psychcentral.com. I have been going there actually on this site. They have a lot of great information on there on a lot of different categories, very resourceful. Um, this article actually was written um, by Katie Styles, updated on July 1st, 2021. And again, that's psychcentral.com, P-S-Y-C-H-C-E-N-T-R-A-L.com. Um, so this is adjustment disorder, and it says symptoms of adjustment disorder. Adjustment disorder is a group of symptoms excuse me, brought on after a stressful event or unexpected change. Stressful life events find us all. Problems at work, going to, uh, away to school, moving, and any number of life changes can cause stress. Um, everyone reacts or responds to stressful situations uh, differently. Most of the time, people learn how to cope with these types of changes. But if you have an adjustment disorder, your reactions or responses might be stronger than others and last longer than a few months. This sounds like me already. <laughs> adjustment disorders can affect both children and adults. <clears throat> These disorders are commonly treated with therapy, medication, and co a combo of both. With the right help, you can learn how to cope with life's stressful events and find relief from your symptoms. What is adjustment disorder? An adjustment disorder involves an emotional response to significant and often stressful life events or changes. Some may include being fired from work, the death of a loved one, relationship issues. Those are just to name a few. For some of us, we can adapt to life's changes within a few months. But if you have an adjustment disorder, your response might be more severe and last longer. Not being able to handle changes can lead to physical and mental health symptoms that can affect your day-to-day -day life at work, school, and in relationships. An adjustment disorder can occur at any time during your life and at any age. Now, I will say my mom has this hugely. She's got to. Because with her blindness, she doesn't handle change very good at all. And obviously, she needs consistency on things, um, you know, because it's, it's just too much. And I'm actually kind of that way, too. And I think that's a lot of what my problem is when I get into some of my moments I flare up um, because I take care of my mom and I'm in her house and her stuff and my stuff, what I have left, 
um, from my life of trying to rebuild is scattered everywhere. I've got some in storage. I've got some in the garage. I've got some in my camper, my mom's camper, stored up in the attic, um, and boxes and trash bags. And every, my stuff is everywhere, what I have. Um, and so I, being OCD um, and all that other stuff, it's a very big change for me to come into her house. And even though she's bedridden, she has everything a certain way that she wants it. And that's the way it's been from the beginning of time, basically, um, since she's went blind. And um, so even though, like for the kitchen example, um, she has things in certain places. She has labels um, on things. And she has a special pen. Um, she it's, So some people might look like a white dot. And there's nothing on it. But she has a special pen that she takes across that white dot. It tells her exactly what she put, you know, programmed it to do. Um, so it's like a, kind of like a hidden message, if you will. <laughs> um, so like on one dot, it might say cups. Um, and then it'll be a white dot in the cabinet. And she takes her pen across it and it'll say cups. Um, or like if she has it on different types of uh, food or um, just anything. It could be anything. It could be on her clothes. Um, it could be on the furniture, it could be wherever she wants to put this white sticker. And it's just a round white sticker dot, and the machine is just like a little handheld, um, it's not even, doesn't even look like a, a what you would think, a, like a ball pit, port pin, it's not like that. Um, it kind of looks almost like an engraver pin, but without the cord. Um, and you just scan it across there and it, and it tells you what's on that dot and you program it to be whatever. So you can actually go in and change it too. Like you don't physically write on the dot, but you can go into the machine and change what the dot says without altering the dot itself, if that makes any sense. And so she has a lot of problem with changes. And me coming in here and trying to adjust and take care of her. And I obviously am the one in the kitchen because with her being bedridden, she doesn't come out of her bed, out of her bedroom. And so I'm in her kitchen and I have to adjust to her setup. And it wouldn't necessarily be the way I would have something to where it'd be easier for me. So that's been a big adjustment too. Um, and that's just some examples. But everybody obviously is different. Um, it goes on to say DSM-5 change. Um, before 2013, adjustment disorder was characterized as clinically significant distress that didn't meet the qualifications for another disorder. After 2013 release of the newest version of the Diagnosis and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, adjustment disorder is now part of trauma and stressor-related disorders. The symptoms are categorized as an emotional or behavioral response to a traumatic event such as death or a threat, or non-traumatic events such as relationship issues, a loss of a job, or even an illness. Types of Adjustment Disorders There are six types of adjustment disorders, each with its own set of unique symptoms. Adjustment Disorder with Depressed Mood uh, They have marked as the first one. This type uh, is characterized by persistent feelings of hope hopelessness, low mood, sadness, loss of interest in activities you once enjoyed. Adjustment disorder with anxiety. People experiencing this type of adjustment disorder report feelings of anxiety and excessive worry about the stressor. Constant uh, ruminating and intrusive memories about the stressor are also common. 
Concentration can also be affected with this type of adjustment order disorder. Adjustment disorder with mixed anxiety and depressed mode or mood, excuse me. Both feelings associated with depression and anxiety are exhibited during this type of adjustment disorder. That don't really give much information, does it? <laughs> adjustment disorder with disturbance of conduct. Except let me say that again. Excessive spending, reckless driving, and irrational behaviors characterize the disturbance of conduct associated with this type of adjustment disorder. Adjustment disorder with mixed disturbances of emotions and conduct. A person diagnosed with this type of adjustment disorder has symptoms from every type of adjustment disorder, including anxiety, depression, and behavioral problems. Adjustment disorder unspecified. This type of adjustment disorder presents an, with unclassified symptoms not associated with other types of adjustment disorders. People experience this type may have physical symptoms, issues with family and friends, social issues, and problems at school or work. Symptoms. Someone diagnosed with an adjustment disorder can have an anxiety of mental and physical health problems. Common mental symptoms of adjustment orders include anxiety, nervousness, rebelliousness, impulsivity, acting out, hopelessness, sadness, and excessive worry. Um, people may often, or I'm sorry, let me start that over. People may also withdraw from daily activities, have a hard time focusing, and suddenly lack confidence. Adjustment disorder can also affect a person physically. Some com common physical symptoms include fatigue, indigestion, insomnia, muscle trembling, twitching, body pain not associated with an illness. Symptoms of an adjustment disorder typically occur within three months of the event and rarely last longer than six months after the event or stressor has ended or been removed. Some people may have only one symptom, while others have more. Now, I have a question on that. So, they say symptoms can uh, usually occur within three months and rarely last longer than six months. But I guess like with my situation, for an example, there's constant uh, things that I have to adjust to. And there's constant things that mom, um, she actually has to adjust to because of the change of her life, being bedridden and being so codependent on me taking care of her. So with that being said, I would think that that, true, that statement is true and not true because if you have triggering moments of the same incident um, or same adjustment or if your adjustments are continuous, um, then I would imagine that the disorder would be continuous even though maybe the symptoms may change, um, if that makes any sense. So that's kind of my thought on that. Um, uh, causes. There are a variety of stressful events that can cause an adjustment disorder. In adults, it might be a serious illness diagnosis, a divorce or separation, loss of a loved one or a pet, job loss, money problems, a major life change, such as retiring, getting married, having a baby, uh, moving away to a new home or a city, um, experience a life-threatening event, such as a natural disaster, an assault, or an accident, um, 
Um, in children and adolescents, some common causes include a parent's divorce or separation, the birth of a sibling, the loss of a pet, problems at school, and maybe even changing uh, and moving away um, and going from school to school to school and not having a lot of stability to where maybe like in the military, for example, example where they move around sometimes a lot. Um, so the stability of um, adjusting to a new house, a new surroundings, a new neighborhood, a new state, a new school, new friends. Um, you know, it's like me growing up, you know, I, I've been to 13 different schools growing up. And, um, well, some of them were the same school where we left and came back and went to the school again uh, later on in life. Um, but we moved constantly, constantly. Um, I would come home from school and my mom would be in the kitchen packing and she'd be like, go pack your bedroom, we're moving. Um, and no warning. Um, and then by the time you made friends, um, you got changed to a different school or something um, or moved out of the neighborhood or whatever the case may be. And then you had to readjust again. And then sometimes when you move so much, um, me, I did a couple of, uh, on a few occasions, um, I would get confused on where I was at. I'd wake up in my bed and I'd be disoriented on, oh, my bedroom, <laughs> you know, or, or my bed is faced a different way because I'm in a different room, so I have to face it a different way. Um, and then I would get disoriented and take me a minute to have to focus on where I'm at because of such a change and you're you're constantly on the go and constantly moving and different things so i mean that's that is a very big thing um i know uh for myself as growing up as a child um we all experience life differently so what causes an adjustment disorder in one person may not cause it in another how we handle stress or our ability to process and cope with different situations greatly affects whether we develop an adjustment disorder or not Prevention and next steps. If you or someone you know is having problems or trouble coping with a significant life event, help is available. You can begin by talking with someone you trust and finding emotional support with family and friends. You can also talk to your family doctor if you have one. They might be able to refer you to a mental health professional that can provide services in person or online. I have said this before in my life of trauma and trying to rebuild myself and coping with uh, a huge amount of significance of trauma and a little bit of everything in my life. Um, seeking help and going to people that you trust or even talking to your doctor, uh, if you do have one, is not always, it's easier said than done. Because when your mind is not in the focus of what I guess a normal normal focus would be for someone um, when you get in a certain state of mind or triggered in a certain way or whatever the case may be where your feelings and your mentality and your safety and all that stuff is altered um, you don't always finish or finish you don't always think so rationally um, and you don't always have a great game plan and um, so reaching out to someone for help or calling someone um, sometimes in itself is a trigger in a traumatic event for some people. And I know for myself firsthand, um, I don't have um, I don't have a lot of those choices in my life, more so now than ever before. Um, 
a lot is because of the traumas that I've been through. Um, a lot of people are going through things and they just can't handle the additional of, of me. <laughs> um, but also too, sometimes when you find somebody, you believe you find somebody you can trust and confide in and go to, um, in the end you find out that you can't. And so this going through the process of trying to find somebody who can give you emotional support um, can feel devastating of, of a trauma in itself because you may have taken your vulnerability and then confided it into someone who you did trust and needed moral emotional support from and um, for whatever reason it may be um, that didn't that didn't happen um, and it ended up where you ended up being alone still in the end. And so it that in itself does something to someone in a form of kind of like an emotional abandonment. Um, and that does that does a lot to somebody. It really, I know firsthand it did, did a lot to me. And it still does. I have a very big, huge uh, abandonment problem. Um, and I've, I've talked about it several times before. Um, but I'm... I say that I'm working through that, but in all honesty, I'm probably not working on that so much as I am trying to not hurt myself um, and not belittle myself and not uh, take myself for granted. And I'm more focusing on my mental state of mind and my mental health than I am right now. I'm worrying about trying to worry about if anybody's there. Because I've been so used to people not being there, that that's pretty much being my way of life right now. And um, I got to get to the point of my own well-being um, to be independent. Like I say, I'm a very independent person, and sometimes I'm too independent. But I've had no choice. I've had to learn things on my own, a big part of my life. Um, I raised... My kids, um, basically by myself my whole life, um, them growing up, except my youngest daughter who, after the tragedy in my life happened, our, our tragedy happened in our life, I should say, in my family's life, um, my daughter actually had to take care of me. And um, it left a big, huge uh, scar, very bigly, uh, between her and I, but also to... Um, individually um, apart from each other so obviously um, it, it does something to somebody but at the same time too I'm not saying that it's not possible to do but there are options out there there are people out there there are trained professionals out there and I talk about it all the time 988 suicidal prevention line um, they have very very equipped people um, that can also resource you and direct you where you need to go and um, just try to help you. And um, I know that me going to mental therapy now um, and doing my podcast, um, my podcast alone have been a tremendous help for me. Um, and I have said this before in other podcasts, I encourage you, if that is something that you think that you can handle to do, um, it is a very good way to have an outlet. But at the same time, too, I've, I've spoke about um, if 
there's a lot of people that can relate to a lot of different things. And my mother and I were just talking about this earlier. Um, you know, everybody has a story. And sometimes um, talking about those stories and stuff of what is going on, it's not so much of the detail of the scenario. It's the actual um, emotion behind it. And, you know, the emotion of the scenarios that somebody goes through. Like, my mom is like, you know, nobody understands what I go through. There's nobody that goes through this, you know. And it's like, Mom, there are people out there that are blind. There are people out there that are bedridden. There are people out there that just lost their, their spouse. Um, there are people that um, have gone through certain things that you're going through. You know, and but having them all combined, I'm sure there are. There's got to be people out there in the world. I know you're not the only one, but you may feel that you are because you're secluded and you're in a family and around surroundings of people that can't relate to that. And we have a type of <laughs> cough, cough family um, that one time actually, when my mother had first went blind, <laughs> um, one, of, one of my nieces um, actually um, was trying to see if my mom really was blind, I guess. I don't know what her purpose was on this. Um, but she wanted to test my mom's vision, if you will, and actually put a chair in my mom's way to see if my mom would see it. And my mom tripped over it because she wanted to see if my mom really was blind or if she was faking it. And it's like, wow, really? Because that's the thing to do. And I told mom, I said, you know, now my mom has wet macular degeneration and Charles Bonnet syndrome. And from my understanding, Charles Bonnet syndrome is when you can't see, your brain goes forward, and it needs something to do. So it makes up things sometimes and hallucinates sometimes. And although she's blind, she sees things sometimes um, just by her brain. Her brain computes it. Um, but she has no vision in her right eye, and she has a small pinhole in her left peripheral. Now... <laughs> My mom lives in a house that she grew up in. This was my grandparents' house, okay? And when my grandparents passed away, when my grandfather passed away in 88, my mom bought the house. And um, so she has lived here. She knows this house inside and out. And um, so, and, and I know this. This house has always been in my life, always. So I can walk around this house in the complete dark and pretty much know where I'm going. Um, and when you know things are in a, in a certain way, in a certain order, you pretty much know where things are. And I, for the most part, can pretty much almost walk to something, um, unless I forget where it is, <laughs> um, and get it. And I dropped things on the floor before and just automatically bent down and picked it up and I couldn't even see it. You know, and I'm not saying that I could see in the dark or whatever, but it's just kind of, um, I don't know if it's muscle memory or what it is. But um, I told her, I said, you know, my thing is this. When people are like, you know, I hear them say, oh, are you blind? Are you all the way blind or uh, just legally blind? Okay, sorry, my mom just rang me again. I don't know if you can hear it in the background when it went off. But what I was saying was, um, I'm trying to remember what I was saying. I'm talking about her peripheral. Um, you know, people are like, are you blind or are you legally blind? Um and I'm, I, I told her, I said, you know, it really kind of irritates me because 
do you have to be 100% totally 100% blind to be classified as it being acceptable that you're blind? Do you have one pinhole? Take a, a, the pin and the very big, the tip of the pin. And that is what you see out of in your left peripheral, not your, your straight ahead, in your peripheral, your side vision. And that's all you have. Isn't that enough to be blind? I mean, seriously? And if you are legally blind, you're still blind because you're legally blind. So then that means that, I don't know, the government and, you know, the doctors say, hey, hold up a minute. You are too blind to be out there driving and doing things because you can't see. But I guess unless you are 100% blind, then society doesn't accept it. And that's wrong. And I've noticed, too, when my mom was in the hospital, and that, this wasn't the first time, just because somebody is blind doesn't mean they're deaf. And just because somebody is blind or impaired or handicapped, does not mean that they cannot make decisions for themselves and does not mean that you cannot talk to them and look at them. Even if they can't see you, you can see them. So I have the problem of them, they look at me and they talk to me and they ask me questions and basically talk around her, over her, or away from her. And my mom doesn't realize that they're doing that. So then she thinks that I'm just jumping in and interfering. And then I have to explain to her, they're talking to me. They're asking me questions, and I'm just responding. I'm not trying to take that away from you. But I know when we were at the hospital, the nurse had come in there, and um, she was talking so loud. And I'm a loud talker. She was hurting my ears. And the door was wide open, and she's just talking to my mom. She's standing with her arms crossed. And it almost like she was scolding my mom because my mom's bedridden. She's on a water pill, and she had to keep getting on and off the bedpan, um, you know, and she needed somebody in there. And I spent most of the night myself taking care of her because they had three nurses, and they're they're not equipped to take care of my mom. And, and that's what I was telling my mom, too. And I know this is off subject, but this is another example of what people have to go to. My mom had to adjust to that surrounding. People she don't know... Um, in a room she's not familiar with, with health problems that are so bad um, that I actually had to leave my doctor appointment to come back home to call an ambulance for her. And for my mom to do that is a huge, huge deal. Um, and for her to take six nitros, I mean, that alone. But um, so she's in there, and she's got her anxiety built up, and she's laying there, and she's crying, and a lot of emotions going on, and she's trying to make adjustments. And um, she's basically begging them to let her be able to go to the regular bathroom because she is bedridden, but she tries so hard and she's very slow to walk to the bathroom because she says, I'm trying to at least do something. I can't do anything else, but I'm still trying to have at least my, uh, you know, her um, bathroom privileges, I guess you could put it you know, and some dignity, and um, they were getting kind of frustrated and had to have to come in there all the time, and she was, you know, basically begging them to uh, let her out of the bed to at least put her, you know, feet on the floor, or at least 
go to walk to the toilet that was maybe, you know, just right there beside her pretty much, or even get her a portable toilet, and they wouldn't let her do it. And I'm like, well, then you're going to have to come in here and keep, you know, doing this. And um, I ended up doing it because she would have to go to the bathroom sometimes, like every, not even every five minutes. And then she also has the urge where she feels like she has to go because she has a stimulator implant in her spine. And so then she has to make adjustments. But the lady was talking so loud to her with the door open. And I'm looking at her going, you know, first of all, lady, you need to calm down by the way you're talking to my mom. I don't like your body language. I'm not saying this. I'm looking at her because I'm waiting to see what my mom does. Um, and I'm looking at her going, I don't like your body language. You're standing there with your arms crossed very aggressively. The tone of your voice, your stance was not coming off well to me at all. And my mom is just in tears crying up all night long. We didn't get any sleep at all that whole night. Um, my mom begging for, you know, relief and help or something. I'm going to get an ice pack to try to put on her legs. She asked for some Bengay to put on her legs, and they said they were going to get some. But then they decided not to because they thought that it wouldn't do her no good, so they decided not to. Um, and I told her, I, I told the nurse, I said, we live by Vicks Vapor Rub at home. Um, Vicks Vapor Rub, my mom has fibromyalgia, PAD, and neuropathy, and two bypasses in her, her right leg. We live by Vicks Vapor Rub. And sometimes I warm it up in the microwave just enough to give it a little bit of um, warmth to it. And I stir it up because, you know, you need to make sure you stir it up because some places are hotter than others. And I, I put my gloves on and I, I rub her down head to toe. And if I have a migraine or something, I put it on my forehead, um, you know, whatever. And it has multiple functions. And it helps her. It really does. And one time I didn't have, and I know this is totally off subject, but this might help somebody. And I know one time she was out with Vicks Vapor Rub, and I was trying to find something else to help her. Ice packs weren't working, heat wasn't working, vibration wasn't working, I didn't have any Vicks on hand. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm trying to think of something. Now, when I would get toothaches, I would take chloroseptic throat spray um, that's for sore throats, and I would spray it on my tooth because it has the anesthetic in it, and it's a numbing agent. So I would spray it on my tooth when I had toothaches, um, and it would numb it. And it would help with my toothache. So if you have a toothache, get you some uh, chloroseptic throat spray or some type of throat spray um, that is numbing and spray it on your tooth. Now be careful because you might make your tongue numb too, but it does help. It, it did me anyway. I would go to work and I'd have my throat spray and they're like, oh, you got a sore throat? No, I got a toothache. <laughs> you know, but anyway, I remembered I had some Vicks um, coolant throat spray, like the freeze or whatever. And so I went and got some of it, and I put it on my mom's legs, and it helped her. She actually slept almost the whole night that night, um, and she's like, wow. <laughs> and um, sometimes it doesn't always work, though. It depends on the flare-up and how bad she is. But this is an example of what some people have to go through. And when you are trying to adjust, when you have different types of limitations, and you have to adjust accordingly to everybody else, just because those nurses didn't understand uh, my mom's situation, didn't give them the right to treat her the way that they did. And I told my mom, I said, had I not been there, had I not, had not stayed, I could not even imagine the type 
of uh, mental state of my mind my mother would have been in had she not had me there. It, the way the nurses were treating her were consistent and I wasn't there to intervene. Um, and that's sad. And they are not equipped um, and knowledgeable, if you will, respectfully, on how to handle the, that type of situation. Now, had there been multiple patients that are, were in the same situation as my mom, it would have been a mess. And it not only puts um, my mom's health in, in jeopardy, but other patients as well. And I told my mom, I said, you know, they were having me later on taking her back and forth to the bathroom and me changing the bedpan. I changed the sheets on the bed. And I, was, I shouldn't have had to do a damn thing, but I did for my mom. Because I, when she was in the ER, I'd go down like my mom, the thing came out of my mom and she wet, the bed's wet or my mom's got to go to the bathroom and they never came down there to help her. I had to go down there and tell them several times and I'm like, she's got to be changed. Would you like to lay in your urine? <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, and it's very devastating that people are treated this way and it's like, I should not have to explain to you how to adapt and be um, on your bedside manner to somebody, even if she wasn't blind and if she wasn't disabled. Sometimes being in the hospital alone to certain people is a trauma and a major huge um, trigger for them. Huge anxiety. Um, and especially if they have to stay there by themselves. And when they're not used to it, it's a whole different thing. You know, and some people, some people might go to the hospital um, because they want a vacation. But that's not always true. And um, so anyway, that's just an example. Um, so it says helpful ways to strengthen your resilience include maintaining a good sense of humor. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> um. Well, I say that, but I'm a little biased. I think I'm a hoot, but hey, my mom says I get on her nerves. But anyway, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Having a healthy lifestyle, establishing a support network, and boosting self-confidence. I am working on that last one. Very, very big. Um, you can uh, find more helpful ways by visiting pages uh, the pages, our pages, I'm sorry, 10 Tips to Build Resilience and 11 Ways to Cultivate Resilience. Okay, um, again, I had to pause for a minute, um, so I really am not for sure where I left off, but I'm going to reread the sentence, and if I repeat myself, I apologize. Um, but it says, you can find more helpful ways by visiting our pages, 10 tips to build resilience, or 11 ways to cultivate resilience. Also, having a plan for the unexpected can help lessen the stress and increase your ability to cope uh, during critical life events. Um, so that um, is the part of the adjustment disorder symptoms. Um, and then they have a part down here that is adjustment disorder treatment. Now, I will fair warn you that I will have to pause this, I know, at least one more time um, because I'm getting to put my mother to bed. Um, but she is going to let me know when she's exactly ready to put her machines and stuff on her. So I'm going to get started on this part. Um, and then, obviously, uh, if I have to pause it, hopefully I can remember where I left off. Um, but if not, then I might end up repeating myself. <laughs> so, um, again, I apologize if I do. <clears throat> so this particular part I got off the same website. 
um, and it was, I'm going to, if I apologize if I butcher this uh, name, uh, Margarita Tartakovsky. Um, and it was um, May 17, 2016, and it's uh, Adjustment Disorder Treatment, and again, this comes off of psychcentral.com. Um, it says psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is the treatment of choice for adjustment disorder, but the type of psychotherapy varies depending on the stressor and specific symptoms. After all, the stressor that triggers adjustment disorder might be a single event, such as ending a relationship. It might be multiple stressors, such as losing your job or having a marital problem. It might be a new transition, such as moving to a different city, having a baby, or retiring. Or it may be a new diagnosis, such as learning uh, you have a physical illness. Plus, there are six types of adjustment disorders. Um, for instance, one type consists of symptoms of depression, such as low mood, tearfulness, and feelings of hopelessness. Another type features uh, symptoms of anxiety, such as nervousness and worry. Uh, a third uh, feature conduct, uh, conducts disturbances, which may include anything from fighting or driving recklessly to skipping school or using drugs or alcohol. For some people, adjustment disorder may remit on its own. Example, you find a job you love, your baby starts sleeping through the night, um, you know you work out your marital problems or whatever the case may be. Um, however, some research has found that adjustment disorder is a gateway to other disorders, such as major depress depressive disorder or anxiety disorders, and can increase the risk of suicide if untreated. Um, and again, like I said earlier, I feel like some of these actually do intertwine some each, each other, and it's really kind of hard sometimes to know the difference between uh, one or the other when a lot of them have the same similarities of symptoms. Um, in general, because adjustment disorder is an excessive reaction to a stressful life event that impairs daily functioning, it's best that therapy is brief and solution-focused. That is, therapy helps you to understand the meaning behind the stressor and reframe it, remove or reduce the stressor, reduce symptoms, develop effective coping and problem-solving skills, and learn better ways to manage stress. If you're struggling with symptoms of anxiety, psychotherapy um, also might include learning relaxation techniques, shifting a thoughts that perpetrate your anxiety, um, and changing maladaptive behaviors, which is part of con uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, such as lashing out on yourself, self-harming, um, different things like that. If you're struggling with symptoms of depression, therapy might include elements um, of that um, connective, co cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as interpersonal therapy. The latter focus on helping you improve the quality of your current relationships. If the stressor is related to romantic relationship or is somehow negatively affecting your relationship, couples therapy is important. Um, I just did a podcast actually last night um, on um, how to overcome relationship stress together. Um, and it had um, some information and, and suggestions and stuff. And one of them obviously was uh, therapy, couples therapy. Um, adjustment disorder is also um, also is common in kids. And psychotherapy is usually as is equally as vital, excuse me. An event is critical because an untreated adjustment disorder can progress into clinical depression, an anxiety disorder, or a substance abuse. 
Also, teens with adjustment disorder can have suicidal thoughts and even make attempts. Some research has found that girls with adjustment disorder may have higher levels of suicidal symptoms than boys with the disorder. I wonder if that's because of the hormonal change of hormones, um, estrogen and testosterone. I wonder if that has a factor to do with that. Um, like adults, treatment in kids and teens depends on specific stressor and symptoms. An ad additional factor could be age. Um, as a whole, kids have more behavioral symptoms, so therapy will likely address impulse control, anger management, and communication. Therapy also will help kids and teens develop strat strategies for problem solving, along with healthier ways to cope with stressful situations and transitions. In addition, family therapy can be tremendously helpful in reducing and resolving conflicts, improving communication skills, and teaching caregivers the best ways to support their child through their symptoms. And I know like here nowadays, I, I believe that families have gotten more, it's more common now to, um, I guess, do things remotely with your family than it is to do it personally. And um, unfortunately, um, our electronic devices and our remote uh, methods um, seem to be uh, a big reason, I believe, that um, our families and our morals and our futures and stuff are um, as, um, I guess, um, life-ending, life-altering, life-sever, family-ending, I guess, um, because you can actually misconstrued and um, take things differently in a text message or um, even just a conversation. You know, somebody might take something that you're saying the wrong way if it's like, say, on a voicemail or whatever. And, um, you know, I saw this one thing one time um, you know, where somebody had messaged somebody and they replied back, don't talk to me in that tone of text, <laughs> um, you know, and people need to know that um, while a text message only takes like two seconds to let me know you're thinking of them, a phone call makes a greater impact to actually hear somebody's voice and have actual human contact. Um, it says, lastly, peer group therapy may help adolescents as well. It provides a safe space for them to practice and sharpen their social, interpersonal, and communication skills. Teens also learn to e effectively express their emotions and empathize with others. And group therapy reminds them that they are not alone and support is readily available. Now, if our generation of our children nowadays are so codependent and, and reliant on technology, um, unfortunately, I believe um, that that is helping them to learn distancing of um, actual physical and um, human contact because I noticed with myself that if I don't have human contact with somebody uh, in the outside world if you will um, it actually does something to me and it's one thing for me to uh, be home and interact with my mom and it's another for me to actually go out in society and interact and sometimes where I don't really get a chance to talk to anybody um, when I go out in public a stranger is going to get a big conversation from me <laughs> you know and it's it's just you know the human contact it's actually being um, you know interactive with somebody and um, actually having a, 
a real live conversation. And then, and that's different than on the telephone because that's like, you know, you're just talking to the speaker. So it's just basically like talking to myself, but it's not talking to myself, but I meant the actual human contact of it to me and face-to-face visual, the visualization of it is different uh, than just the technology, technological sense. Uh, medications. Medication isn't indicated for adjustment disorder, but it may be prescribed for specific uh, debilitating symptoms. For instance, doctors may prescribe an antidepressant to reduce symptoms or depression or suicidal thoughts. Um, Called suicidal ideal, ID, I'm not going to butcher this, ideation by professionals. It's not always easy for me to say anymore with my I had my teeth done uh, not too long ago, and I'm still not healed all the way. So I have a little bit of problem enunciating some things, and sometimes I feel like I'm getting caught up in my mouth. Um, and I've actually had to um, adjust them prior to me doing my podcast um, because they were very, very loose. <laughs> um, so I actually have my <laughs> denture powder sitting next to me in case <laughs> I need to put it back on. But, hey, no shame, right? I mean... Really, I'm not ashamed to say it. I got dentures. Um, I got some beautiful teeth now. Uh, I had 26 teeth and four wisdom teeth taken out, and uh, I don't. I'm hoping that it doesn't affect my uh, intelligence <laughs> with my wisdom teeth being gone now. But um, I carry some. Um, I know this is off subject, but um, I carry some fixidant uh, powder with me um, in my glove box. Um, and I have some in the medicine cabinet, obviously. Um, and I have them in a few places. And I also have the gel, the cream, or not the cream, whatever, the gel, the paste. And then I also have the strips. And I've been trying to figure out which one I like the most. I use the powder the majority of the time. Um, and with putting my teeth in, obviously putting the uppers in are easier. But when I put my lowers in, I have learned <laughs> that I put the powder on my lower teeth and then I bend my head forward and then I put my teeth in that way because you got to put them upside down and that's the form of the paste. So I lean forward and then I can put my teeth in and then the paste don't go all over inside my mouth and be all gross. So that's the way I put my teeth in. You don't, if your life isn't completed now without hearing that, now it is. <laughs> so anyway, um, but that might help somebody. So um Okay, so where was I? <laughs> Talking about my teeth. Um, so we're going to jump down to self-help. Because we're already 55, almost 55 minutes into this. So um, self-help. Support groups can be invaluable in helping you deal with your specific stressor. Whether it's a divorce, job loss, or diagnosis, support group groups remind you that you are absolutely not alone. Provide uh, an opportunity to express and process your own feelings and ex- experiences and can help you pick up dash additional coping strategies. Hopefully, it helps me to learn how to talk. <laughs> um, it is also vital to have a strong support system and surround yourself with compassionate, understanding individuals. Some studies have found that herbal remedies may be effective, specifically most um of the rigorous research, like a double-blind um, control study, has been done with individuals with anxiety uh, subtype. They've uh, found that, and I'm going to probably butcher these words, but that might be fun. They found that kava kava, 
um, <laughs> Eucupatose, E-U-P-H-Y-T-O-S-E, I don't know, um, which contains a combination of plant ac extracts and ginkgo uh, to improve anxiety. Um, several studies also have explored the effectiveness of a self-help manual and web-based self-help interventions. For instance, a 2016 study found a manual based on um, the cognitive, say, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, alleviated some symptoms of adjustment disorder. Moreover, it's important to engage in healthy habits, making sure you're getting enough sleep, uh, participating in physical activities you enjoy, eating uh, nutritious food. Think of these habits as forming the foundation for successfully navigating the day-to-day -day and dealing with stress. Some research has suggested that practicing yoga might be beneficial for individuals with adjustment disorder with anxiety and depression. Other nourishing, nourish, other good habits, nourishing habits might include journaling, meditating, and listening to guided uh, mediations to help more with adjustment disorders. Um, you know, obviously you can also seek out to your doctor and they might actually have some other recommendations as well. This is just information I got off of psychcentral.com. Um, and it might be a little blah, blah, blah to somebody, but to somebody else, it might be beneficial. So, um, if you haven't already checked uh, my other podcast out, please feel free to do so. I believe this is my 29th one. Um, I do have it on Podbean, Podbean <laughs> and a YouTube channel now. Um, and I do put them on both. So although this is audio, I am going to put it also on my YouTube channel. And then eventually, like I spoke about in my other podcast, I am working on doing a video. Um, I did have it to where I was trying to do it. And it was like an old kung fu movie to where the move, the lips move and the voice doesn't go to it. And I needed my voice to catch up with my mouth or my mouth catch up with my voice. But it looked really funny. So, um, funnier than what I already look. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know what kind of laugh that was. <laughs> but, um, it's me laughing at myself. So, but in a, I guess in a, um, in a non-make-fun kind of way. Um, so, and that's another thing I've been doing. Um, with myself, and I don't know this would help anybody else, but it helps me, is identifying my different levels of personality traits, my characteristics. Um, like, if I start thinking certain things uh, that are negative, uh, like say, if I'm having self-doubt, and I'll be like, oh, that must be my personality that has had low self-esteem. Um, or that must be my personality that has been uh, through a lot of abuse and trauma and is trying to cope. Or, you know, oh, that must be my, my personality that feels like I need to defend myself to myself because of other people's uh, way of making me feel about being defensive. Um, and I, I go through this with myself and I try to uh, redirect myself, but I also try to identify myself and be honest with myself and own my feelings, own my emotions, but also realize that it's okay to feel the way that I do and that not all of my emotions or feelings are my own. Sometimes they are reflection reflection of what other people have um, instilled into my head per se 
of all my years of life. And I am now trying to undo the negativity of society and family and friends that have been negative in my life in one way or another, whether it's been through a loss or something else. Um, because I need to take control of my mental state of mind. And the only way I'm going to do it is take control of my mental state of mind. So I'm trying to work on that personality to try to um, protect the rest of me um, and save my life and try to heal the one that has been trying to cope uh, all these years. And uh, if you're going through anything that makes your head or yourself or whatever go in any other direction than positive, please try to find some way to redirect that yourself if you can. And if not, please reach out to somebody. Um, there is help out there. Even if you do it in the times that you're in a good, um, in a good mode, and not in a manic depressive mode or whatever mode that you uh, get in uh, to try to cope with yourself and things around you. Uh, when your anxiety builds up and sets in, your panic attacks or whatever the case may be, um, try to take advantage of those situations to have a backup plan for yourself and counteract um, to intervene your own self. So try to teach yourself coping mechanisms that you can talk yourself through talk yourself down, redirect, um, sometimes just going outside and getting a breath of air. Um, if you're laying in bed and your thoughts are going a million directions, obviously you're going to be laying there and you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get to sleep. So even if you get up for a moment to go outside to get a breath of air, do that and then come back in and try to go to bed after that. Um, and, and try it that way and see if that helps. I know I've had to do that a few times. Um, and try to at least be a part of the world at least um, if anything just by opening the front door and looking out or opening the window and putting your head in the window something to look outside take a breath of air and be a part of the outside world um, even if you can't do human contact at least make contact with the world in a way that is not always confined behind the walls that are closed up and um, that's not healthy and I have learned that first and foremost. Um, and unfortunately, when you don't get out into the world and get um, enough sun and, and stuff, your vitamin D goes down and that does affect you. And that is the case where my mom is concerned. She actually is on prescription vitamin D um, medication because she does not get any um, in places. So she actually has to have medication for it. So it is a thing. Um, and like I said before, um, if you are having things, 988 Suicide Prevention Hotline resource, very, very skilled um, individuals that are trained to help people. And if I'm not mistaken, I do believe it can be anonymous too. Um, and if you have any comments or suggestions or whatever, please feel to drop them in the comments saying reach out to me. I am all open for suggestions and also um, respectful criticism. Um, I've had enough negativity in my life. Please be respectful. Um, of things. There's a right way and a wrong way to go about things. Um, and just try to treat people like you would want to be treated. I mean, honestly, it does actually come down to that. Um, it can be just that simple. So anyway, as always, if you have dedicated your time out to listen to me, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and I say this in every podcast because it's 100% true. 
um, you know, your life, your time is one thing in the world that is priceless and you can never get it back. And if you had taken that time out to dedicate your part of your life to listen to me, I, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate that. And thank you very much. Um, again, feel free to listen to my Podbean and my YouTube. Download me, subscribe to me, um, however it goes. I'm still learning all that. <laughs> so, again, I will close now because I found I'm going to sit here and keep gabbing. Um, and we are at an hour and four minutes now. So, uh, I hope everybody has a bless. A bless. I can't even talk. <sighs> this maybe I do need to go <laughs> go to bed <laughs> um, <laughs> um, have a <laughs> I'm gonna amuse myself now <laughs> this is gonna help this is gonna be my night ending I'm gonna end up amusing myself which is okay at least I'm ye not yelling at myself and and uh, making fun of myself so but anyway I thank everybody for joining me and I hope everybody has a safe and blessed evening and um, yeah thank you very much have a good night <laughs>